Go ahead and be seated. Glad you're here. And uh, if you're online with us, we're delighted that you're with us as well. And so today we're going to start in Colossians, but I want to respond to that last song, uh, The Goodness of God. There's, a, there's just such an amazing truth there that I can't let go before we move forward and really think about that. In, in uh, the 23rd Psalm, the Bible teaches us that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And here's the reality. That word follow is really a hunting term. Literally, it would read, if you were reading in the Hebrew text, you would read it, surely goodness and mercy shall hunt me down all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is an amazing truth. It is powerful. And I hope that you sit on that and uh, just really realize how good God has been to you all the days of your life. So with that in mind, let's just transition and let's talk about the book of Colossians. We're starting a brand new series here today, and we're entitling it something really special. We're calling it Colossians. And, um, you know, because we just want to be, we just want to walk through the text and, and show you what's in this book. And the reason Colossians was written, Paul was writing probably from his first imprisonment in jail in Rome. He's writing, he's writing to the Colossians, and he's writing for two reasons. One is that they are, they're beginning to have some bad theology about who Jesus was, and so he's writing to correct this. And, it's, and secondarily, they were writing, Paul was writing this because there was some bad behavior that was going on as a result of bad theology. So that's why Paul writes a letter, and uh, and we're, today we're going to look at verses 3 through 8. I'm going to skip the introduction. I'm going to jump right into the heart of things. We're going to begin in verse number 3. And uh, if, you were to, if I were to put a, a, a title on today, I, would liter I literally would say this. The premise of these verses that we're going to talk about here today is simply this, that the chief evidence of your salvation, the chief evidence of salvation uh, of, uh, is simply love. The bottom line is that you can determine whether you are saved or not by how God has transformed you from the inside out and how love flows out of your life. So the chief evidence of salvation is love. So let me show you that. Starting in verse number three, this is what it says. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice that faith and love are in this text tied inseparably. That faith and love are tied inseparably. This love produced by faith is the supernatural evidence that you are a child of God. They always go together. You show me a person who has deep faith and I'll show you one of the most loving people in all the world. Because they go hand in hand. And I'm going to explain to you why that happens in our, in our lives. So how does faith produce love? Faith produces love by what it takes away from your heart. So let me, let me just say this. So what faith takes away is faith takes away guilt and fear and greed. It takes away those things. So you are purely able then not to respond to somebody out of those things, but you're able to respond to them out of love. We love other people when we stop using them as means to supply our deficiencies and instead rejoice in the divine enablement to supply their deficiencies. So here's the, here's, let me put it in plain English. So you know a lot of times people in love relations will say things like, I need you, right? Have you ever said that? 
I need you? Well, I'm going to just simply say that's an immature love. A mature love doesn't need the other person. The mature, a mature love is when I am, I'm letting God's love flow through me in such a way that I'm meeting their need. They're not meeting my need. That's mature love. And that's how it should be. So when you're in a need-based relationship, you're in an immature relationship of love. And when, when you mature in love, it will, you'll transition to where you no longer need your partner. You want to be in the relationship for what you can give into the relationship. I've been married 46 years, and I can tell you honestly, in the beginning stages of my marriage, it was more of a need-based relationship, and I, uh, truthfully. But as I matured in my faith, as I began to learn more about Jesus, it be, I began to transition to a kind of love that was more based upon what I can bring to the relationship as opposed to what I need to take out of it because of my deficiencies. Maybe you relate to to this letter. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Forever yours, Marie. P.S. and congratulations on winning the state lottery. (laughs) So love comes in a variety of packages, but here's the reality. This is God's kind of love. Love happens when my life spills over with the goodness of God. That's when genuine love happens. It's like a river that floods its banks. So as God fills me with his love, and, I, and that love flows over my life into other people, splashes on other people, like a flood comes onto their life. That's how God's, work, God's love works. This kind of love cannot be faked or manufactured. It's because of God's work of grace in my life. And let me just say this, here's the deal. God's work of grace unhindered always spills over. Let me say that to you one more time. I want you to soak that in. God's God's unhindered work of grace always spills over. When you are not hindering the grace of God in your own life, when you're not hindering God's love for you, it always has the result of spilling over. We only get in trouble when we hinder what God is trying to do. That is why love is the evidence of salvation because it's spilling over my life and it's spilling onto others. This kind of love that I'm describing is a powerful kind of love. It destroys things. And let me tell you what this love destroys. It destroys dividing lines of class. It does. It's no more rich or poor. It's no, it, it destroys those kind of lines. It destroys dividing lines of race. There's no more racism. If you've been watching, if you've been watching in the news, you've seen the, the um, elderly Asians who have been treated or targeted for violence. I'm going to suggest to you that that happens because of a culture devoid of grace or a person devoid of grace. When grace is in my life, it overflows and it has a result on other people's lives. It also uh, destroys the dividing lines in the church, dividing lines of gender, because God does not look on stature. He does not look on on, uh, influence, income. All he sees is genuinely what's in your heart. And here's the deal. You and I, when you understand that, we understand what an amazing mess that we are. Right? That's what makes God's love so wonderful in our lives. Is that you and I, when, we, when we're really honest with ourselves, when we tell ourselves the truth, 
There's a lot of stress and struggle and sin and selfishness that's wrapped up in all, of, all these things inside of my heart. And to know that God loves me in spite of all those things is transformational. It's powerful. It is so good. It's so powerful when you begin to see those things. Most of what happens in Christian churches can be duplicated, honestly, in other religions. But the love that God has for our lives and the love that overflows in our life cannot be duplicated. It is a powerful thing. Jesus said, by this love, all men will know that you are my disciples. So this is a pretty important subject to God. And the real miracle, the real miracle of the church is that you and I love each other in ways that are, it's diverse and it's powerful and we're different, but we have this unity that cannot be explained and this love that cannot be explained. That's the real miracle of the church. It happens all the time. And here's the truth. If you do not love God's people for which Christ died, then your problem isn't with the church. Your problem is with Jesus. I'm broken, you're broken. And if you focus on my brokenness and I focus on your brokenness, I've got a problem with Jesus. Did you hear me say that? When your focus is on other people's brokenness and ignoring your own, and you're not loving people in the manner that Christ loves us. God accepts us right where we are, not where we should be. God accepts us right where we are and loves us in our current state. And that's a miracle in and of itself. And it is, it is transformational and powerful. So let me show you an, a verse that's interesting. Verse 5 this love that we've talked about, that Paul's talking about, and apparently the church at Colossae had a problem with this love. This love comes from your, verse five says, this love comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. So stop there. What is the source of my love? According to Paul right here in verse five, the source of my love is what we all have in common. Uh, and what we all have in common is the fact that we have a future. We all have a destined future in the same place. That's the commonality that all of us have. Now think about that for just a few minutes. If you are given the opportunity to go to heaven right now for 24 hours, if God says, listen, wipe off your schedule, clear your schedule, I want, I'm gonna take you to heaven and I'm gonna show you all that's in heaven for 24 hours. You can come back if you want. You don't have to if you don't want. Most of us would say, I, don't, I think all of us would say, I don't want to come back. But if for, you, if, for example, you and I were to go to heaven, what would be a result of that? Now think about what would be there. First of all, you would see the glorified Jesus Christ. You would see that which heaven worships and adores. You would see the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's the first thing that would be, and he would be brilliant, and he would, be, he would stand out. I mean, you couldn't miss Jesus in heaven. That's the first thing you would see. The second thing that you would see is you would notice that there is no more drama in heaven. All drama's gone. You know what makes life complicated? It's the drama that you and I have to go through Monday through Friday and on Saturdays, and we think, you know, can we just take a break? Can we take a time out from the drama in heaven? There is no kind of drama going on. There's no undertow. There's no division. It's pure bliss. There's purpose. There is perfected people. There is worship of the Lamb. 
There is absolute peace of God. And when, if you would experience that for, for just 24 hours, what would be the result of your life? I think there would be two things that would happen for you. Number one is you would come back, and I believe that knowing where you're going, by knowing and having been able to see where you're going, the first thing that would happen to your life is that you would probably start treating others in a different way. You would see them differently, you would treat them differently, because you know what's there. That's the first thing that would happen. I think the second thing that would happen is that you would have, you would live an inspired life. You know, there was a guy that went to heaven. Did you know that? His name was the Apostle Paul. He was taken and he was shown all the glories of heaven. And he had to be given a thorn in the flesh just to keep him humble enough to be on this planet. And I think that I think the next thing that you would you would decide in your life is that. All that stuff that you worry about, that you fret about, that you get angry about, that you, are, you get twisted around in your mind, I think all of that would be gone, don't you? I think your anger would be dissipated. I believe that if you would see heaven for 24 hours, that your life would be different. And yet, we have glimpses of heaven as we read the Bible. And we see with just, if, even if it's just for an instant, we, we get peeks into the idea of what heaven is like. That should be enough to change our life, but I'm telling you, most of the time it doesn't. It doesn't. Two things for certain. We would take our eyes off of ourselves, for sure, and we would live inspired lives. So here's the solid truth. Love for others is how I've been transformed. It's the evidence that I've been transformed by God's grace. The love that I have for other people is an evidence that I now see Jesus for who he really is. When I see Jesus for who he really is and what he has provided and who he is and what he has done and what he has prepared, that, that transforms my heart in a very powerful way. Then verse six. This same good news that came to you all is going out into all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Notice what is changing lives. I want you to notice something here. What is transformational? This good news that came to you, that, in other words, the good news of the gospel, the good news of the love of Christ, that's what's transforming lives. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day that you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. This love that produces action in our life, this love that is produced by the Holy Spirit in our life, we'll get to that in just a minute, but this love is contagious. It is contagious. Once you've experienced it and it flows over your life into other people's lives, it's addictive. You want more of it. You want to have more of that kind of experience. That's the reality. You want to have more of that kind of experience. And then when others see it, when others see you with that kind of love, they want to go, that's weird. But it's wonderful, I wanna know more about it. I wanna know more about what causes you to love people who are far from God. I wanna know more of that because that is, that, that is different than the world's kind of love. And then there's a guy by the name of Epaphras who modeled this love. In fact, if you're in a small group, this week we're gonna be honing in on Epaphras. But in verse seven it says, you learned about the good news from Epaphras our, our beloved co-worker, he is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. Here's an example of this, Lord, this love poured out. This love is produced, by the way, 
by the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And now here's the good news. Here's the good news. You say, that love seems to be impossible. I don't think I could ever attain that kind of love. Well, the, the reality is, the truth is, the bold truth is the moment you get saved, the moment you get saved, according to the book of Ephesians, is the Holy Spirit enters your life and seals you until the day of your redemption. He never leaves you. So you now have the Holy Spirit who now abides in you and his desire is for you, his desire for you is for you to overflow with the kind of love that he produces in your life. You have the Holy Spirit right now inside of you that if you were to yield to the Holy Spirit every day and ask his work to be done in your life, what you discover is that work would look like this. That work would look like loving other people unconditionally in the same manner that God loves you. Now, this love, this love cannot be faked because it's produced by the Holy Spirit. This love like uh, lots of things in this life can be fake, but you cannot fake the kind of love that we're talking about here. This love can't be imitated by the world, although they try. This kind of love can only be experienced in a genuine way. So let me see if I can unpack this for you this way. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, a, couple, a couple years ago, about a year ago, and uh, it was entitled, why work out when you can just buy the clothes and look like you did? That was the title of the article. The article explores the growing trend in the athletic apparel market where people are buying sports clothing without actually practicing the sport. The article notes that the U.S. athletic apparel market will increase by nearly 50% in, in, by the year 2021 and, and literally uh, uh, nearly this year probably $100 billion dollars will be spent on, on sports apparel. Things like yoga pants and other items, you know, T-shirts. And, and the sad reality is, is that all these leggings and tees, all that, they will never see the fluorescent lights of the gym. In fact, I guess that some of you went into the, into the, into the store to buy your yoga pants without ever intending to practice yoga. You just went in there because they feel good, they look good, you know, what, for whatever reason, and that, you know, that's why people buy them. And here's what's fascinating to me. There was a 50% increase in the purchase of just yoga pants this last year, 50% increase in the purchase of yoga pants, but only a 5% increase in the people that actually went and took yoga. It's 45% of people that bought yoga pants never intended to go to the gym. And I'm not saying this to be offensive. I think it's funny. I think it's, you gotta laugh at yourself from time to time, okay? Let's just have a laugh at ourselves. You know, we buy clothes because they look good, but we never intend to use them for what they really are. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of an analogy of where people are with the love of Christ. They kind of fake it through life. They never intend to really love their neighbor as themselves they just want to put parts of Christianity on because it feels good. And so I'm just simply saying, how do, if this can't be fake, where does it come from? It comes from sitting at the feet of Jesus, discovering how much he loves you. That's where it comes from. This kind of love cannot be faked. When you're filled with his love, it will naturally pour out 
in, a, in, a, in an amazing way unto other people. It is God's intent for you to love in a crazy way, an irrational way. God's love is irrational. Think about yourself. God's love on you is an irrational love, isn't it? That God would take such a sinner like you. I mean a sinner like you. And that he would pour his love out on you in a way that is unbelievable. I want to end our time together with a quote from one of my favorite authors. I got the opportunity to hear him speak right before he died. His name is Brennan Manning. Not to be confused with Eli Manning. This is not related to, to Eli. Brennan Manning was a theologian and this is what he said. He said to me, it is more important to be loved than to love. Now stop there for a second. That sounds wrong at first. It's more important to be loved than to love. That sounds counterproductive. But this is what he says. When I have not had the experience of being loved by God just as I am and not as I should be, then loving others becomes a duty, a responsibility, a chore. Let's just soak on that for a second. Listen to this carefully. When I have not had the experience of being loved by God just as I am, not as I should be, not as I should be, then loving others becomes a duty, a responsibility, a chore, something that I do. And that's counterfeit. That's going out and buying your yoga pants but never intending to go to the gym. This is counterfeit. This is a counterfeit way. This is a counterfeit way of love. But, he writes, if I let myself be loved as I am with the love of God poured into my heart, then I can reach out to God in an effortless way. What he's saying is the same thing that Jesus said when Jesus talked about the fact that he invited his disciples to take his yoke for his yoke was easy and his burden was light. When I am letting God love me just as I am, just as I am without any, without any pretense, without faking it, without trying to fool God, without trying to somehow fool myself, when I let God love me in my failures, when I let God love me in my temptations, when I let God love me in my sins, when I let God love me in my shame, when I let God love me in every area of my life, you mark it down, when I let God love me there, then something supernatural happens inside of me. See, I think what we do, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong about us, but this is what I think we do. I think we, love, we, we want God to love who we think we should be, but not love who we really are. Hot messes, broken people, messed up, turned around, wrong priorities, wrong thinking. That's the moment, that's the moment that Christ enters your life and loves you in an unconditional way. He does not love you. If you hear, don't hear anything I say, hear me say this. God loves you just where you're at. And that's supernatural. And that's counter-human. 
And when I experience that kind of love, when I really experience that kind of love in a genuine sense, when I experience that kind of love, then it's going to spill over to other people. And it's not going to be a burden for me to love my next door neighbor. It's not going to be a burden for me to love my enemy. Because it's not really me doing it, right? It's the love of Christ spilling over in my life. It's not that I've got to go out and find people to love. It's that as I bump up against people, they get contaminated by this love that God has for me. And pretty soon it becomes contagious and they want more of it. And you want more of it. It is such a beautiful thing. So as you think about, as you think about that, I want, to, I want you to slow your life down because here's what I'm thinking. I believe that you and I haven't taken much time in our lives to think about how God loves us right where we are. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your worst sin right now. Your, your worst time in life, that time that you're ashamed of, that time that when you think of it, your, your blood boils because it brings such negative emotion. And now I want, you to, I want you to add the love of Christ right there. I want you to sit on that love. I want you to sit on the love. That's where Christ entered your life at your weakest moment. It was your weakest moment he died for, according to the book of Romans. This is powerful stuff. This is transformational stuff. This isn't religion. This just isn't religious stuff. This is the power of Christ to transform lives. So what we're going to do as we end our services that we're going to sit on that thought. And I want you, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sing to you. I'm not going to sing to you. Well, maybe I will. I don't know. If you, have, if you make me mad, I might. But I want, you to, I want you to listen to the words of this old hymn that we're going to sing. And I just, I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to sing the words back. I want you to sit on your worst moment. The ugliest time in your life. The time, that moment that you, that you would say that if I could do anything over again, this is what it would be. If I could change anything about my life, this is what it would be. It's that moment. I want you to listen to the words of this song. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch his treasure How great the pain of searing loss 
The Father turns his face away As wounds that mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory So my question to you is, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? And you know what the answer is? Nothing. Because loving people isn't about doing, it's about being. And the more you sit on that truth of the love of Christ in your life at your weakest moment, the more you sit there, the more you understand it, the more you appropriate it, the more you grab a hold of it, the more transformed your life will be. And the more you'll have the capability of making the Christian life an easy road. Not something I'm struggling to do. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take my yoke upon me. That is such an amazing truth. And I'm telling you, if you'll listen to what I'm saying here today and you'll regularly gather in the truth of God's love for you, then loving others will be the simplest, most natural thing that you ever do because it will only be the overflow of your life. That makes sense? It will only be the overflow of your life. It's not manufactured. You're not putting your yoga pants on and not intending to work out. You're just living in Christ and who he's created you to be. And, you're, and then your judgment for other believers will go from here to here because of that love that's spilled over on their lives. It is amazing. It's, we're not known by a great theology. We know that, that people will know that we are his disciples by our love one for another. And that happens when I know the Father's love in a deep way. Father, may this truth be burned into our souls in such a way that we'll never be the same. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen.